This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. That's awesome. So our, our Lottie Moon in-gathering uh, is going to be on December the 9th. Our goal is $65,000. And I just heard this week, uh, you guys have already given $7,000 um, already. We haven't even, we just started to talk about this. Uh, yeah, that's an awesome phrase. Amen. That is great, um, and so uh, we're looking forward to that. You, can, you don't have to wait until the night. You can give any Sunday, and obviously some of you already have. So turning your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 16 today, um, we complete the journey that we began at the beginning of 2018. We've been walking through uh, Paul's letter to the church at Rome, and a lot of people kind of, they see chapter 16, and they kind of skip over it, and they, because they look at, they look at the chapter, and they see all these names that are difficult to pronounce, and sometimes when we see sections like that in the Bible, um, admit it, sometimes you see sections like that, and you just kind of like, oh, let's just kind of fast forward um, through that, but sometimes when we do that, we can miss gold, and that's certainly the case uh, in Romans 16. This is a beautiful chapter on Christian friendship. It's just one of those beautiful pictures of the family of God um, that we see in, in the Bible. And so um, Romans chapter 16, let me ask you to stand in honor of the author of God's word as we read through chapter 16 together. <clears throat> Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cancrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. <clears throat> Greet also the church in their house. Greet the beloved uh, Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet And Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who was approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Aphlegion, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogius, Julia, Nereus, and his sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches in Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. 
For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and, and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, Father, we thank you so much uh, for this last chapter of Romans. Thank you for the, uh, just the, the journey we've been on this, this year as a church family, walking through this, just one of the most important parts of your word to, uh, to know well. It just gives us a basis for so much more. And we thank you so much for this last chapter, just the beautiful picture of the family of God and, and the Christian friendship that we experience within the family of God. And we pray that you bless it to our understanding, bless it to our application. Lord, we give this time to you. Help us to lock in right now on your word. Speak to us through your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the most memorable show intros to a TV sitcom has got to be the one for uh, Cheers. And that, just that incredibly memorable tune, uh, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Well, in the case of Cheers, the place where everybody knew your name was a, a bar in Boston, which unfortunately is where a lot of people in our culture go for love. But you know, the deepest love is found in the family of God, among people who were united by the love of the Savior, who loved us and gave himself for us. And we see in chapter 16 just this beautiful picture of the family that we have in Christ and the friendship that we have as believers. What, what do we see here in chapter 16 about, about Christian friendship? First of all, we see how Christian friendship is emphasized. How Christian friendship is emphasized. So Paul mentions 30, at least 30 people by name in this chapter. And that fact alone makes a statement, doesn't it? You know, Paul had never even visited the church at Rome. <laughs> and yet he already, he already uh, either has had, knows some of these people from his travels or he knows uh, about them. What does that say? It says that, that Paul, even though he was obviously, you know, this incredible uh, scholar, which we have seen in Romans, and this incredible theologian, Paul is not isolated. 
Paul is out there doing ministry and he's in relationships. So much of his life is about relationships with other people. One scholar points out that, that probably the reason why Paul was able to mention all of these people by name is because he prayed for these people by name. So let's walk through, and, and we're not going to look at everyone, but we're going to look at a good, a good sampling of the people that we see here. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, we meet a woman named Phoebe. He says here, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cancrea, that you may welcome her in, a, in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Now, Phoebe was the person that Paul entrusted to carry this letter to Rome. Think about that responsibility. Imagine Paul uh, just handing over a document to you and saying, here's Romans. <laughs> I want you to take this, I want you to get this safely delivered uh, to the city of Rome. Listen, think about that. First century travel with all of the perils that were associated with that, Paul would only give this responsibility as to someone who was a close, trusted colleague in, in, in ministry. And he entrusts that responsibility to Phoebe. What does that say about the way that the Apostle Paul valued women? You know, as, as valued partners in ministry. Listen, we, we see that throughout the Gospels, don't we? Throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus elevated the value and dignity of women far beyond anyone else of his time. It's revolutionary. And so you see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that, that there, were, there were women uh, who were just, they were, they were partners in, in the work of the ministry with Jesus. He, re, he relied upon them. Uh, they were just, they were some of his most trusted friends and, 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 and partners in ministry. It was the same way with the apostle Paul. He entrusts this incredible responsibility to a sister in Christ, Phoebe. What else do we see here about her? It says in verse two that she has, he says he, she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. What does that mean? It means that Phoebe was wealthy. Phoebe was wealthy. And she used her means to support the ministry of the gospel she had used her wealth uh, to enable uh, Paul to go out and to be on mission and to do the things that he did. And he said she had done that for many others as well. Listen, you know what? The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. But when people are blessed financially, and instead of loving money, they love the Lord... <laughs> their wealth can be used in, in just incredible ways. We know that many of the early Christians did not have a lot of money. We're going to see in this chapter, some of them were even slaves. And so the, those in the church, Phoebe is an example. Lydia would be another example uh, that we know about. And there, there are others. When, when, when believers were blessed financially and they leveraged that for the glory of the Lord, it's made incredible impact for the gospel. And so Phoebe had, had done that with her, her wealth just to support a ministry in some incredible ways. 
In verses three and four, uh, we meet uh, uh, Prisca, or sometimes she's called Priscilla, depending on your uh, translation, uh, and Aquila. So this is a husband and wife team. And Paul says to them in verses three and four, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Um, And so Priscilla and Aquila were a dynamic husband and wife combo for the Lord. Um, We meet them in, in Acts chapter 18. In Acts 18, we see that when Paul was in Corinth, that's when he met Priscilla and and Aquila. They were also tent makers like Paul was, and they were all out for Jesus like Paul was. Now you see the providence of God in the way that, that they met, because in Acts 18, Luke tells us that the reason that, that, uh, that their paths cross was that Priscilla and Aquila were natives of Rome, but in 49 AD, the emperor Claudius had expelled people of Jewish background from Rome. Well, Priscilla and Aquila were Jewish in their background, and so they were some of the refugees that had been expelled from Rome, and they found themselves in the city of Corinth where they just happened to cross paths with a guy named Paul. And they became lifelong partners in the gospel. This couple was so important to Paul's ministry. Now, do you see the providence of God there? You know, here, here's this couple, they've been kicked out of their home, they've been kicked out of their city, and they find themselves refugees in Corinth at the very time when the Apostle Paul is there, another tent maker, another person who is all out for the gospel, and God just puts them together. And God does things like that. God just, God just puts, puts new friends in our life, uh, they're gonna impact our life, puts us in the right place at the right time to meet the right people so that that can happen. It's amazing how the Lord does that. And notice what Paul says about Priscilla and Aquila. He says, they risked their necks for me. Do you have friends like that? Do you have friends who will take a bullet for you, who are gonna go to the wall for you, In the family of God, we can find friends like that because in the family of God, we've got a savior who went to the cross for all of us and not only risked his life for us, but gave his life for us. And in the family of God, we can find brothers and sisters who will literally do that for one another. Priscilla and Aquila. In verse six, we meet a woman named Mary. He says, greet Mary who has worked hard for you So Mary, probably a single woman, and she's noted here for her hard work on behalf of the church. Listen, if a church is going to really advance the gospel, it's gonna have to have people like Mary, just unsung heroes who just sacrifice of their time and roll up their sleeves and just get after it for the gospel. He says, Mary has worked hard for all of you. She was a hard worker for the Lord. The church needs workers for the gospel. 
In verse 7, we meet another husband and wife team, Andronicus and Junia. He says, greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. So Andronicus and Junia uh, shared Paul's Jewish background. He refers to them as kinsmen, which means they were probably uh, Jewish in background. And they were not only fellow Jews, but they were fellow prisoners. These people had been at some point imprisoned for the gospel, maybe imprisoned with Paul for the gospel. But again, what are we seeing here? We're seeing people who were radical in their commitment to the Lord. I mean, they're, they're, they're willing to suffer, willing to go to prison, willing to die if necessary for the cause of Christ. And what does he say about Andronicus and Junia also? He says, and they were in Christ before me. So scholars believe that, that Paul was probably converted about three to four years after the resurrection of Christ. He says Andronicus and Junia were in Christ before me. So it, they were some of the earliest believers in Jesus, Andronicus and Junia. In verse 9, he mentions Urbanus, a man named Urbanus. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, probably a single man and in all likelihood a slave because Urbanus was a common slave name. In verse 12, he mentions two sisters, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. So these were biological sisters, but also sisters in Christ doing ministry uh, together. Uh, An important thing that we see here is that the gospel kind of works its way through families. So some of the first places to to look to share the Lord, you know, a natural bridge, you know, is within your family, your extended family or, you know, or close friends, the people kind of within your sphere of influence. The gospel kind of travels over those bridges. And then also in verse 12, he says, greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. This is another woman. Her name means the Persian. So again, are you seeing some of the ethnic diversity in this church? So you've got yes, this per, a Persian woman. You know, you've got people from Gentile background, Jewish background, all kinds of, uh, of ethnic diversity uh, in the church at Rome. And, and then in verse 13, we see this verse which is incredibly beautiful and also intriguing. Look at verse 13. He says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Ah, that's beautiful. A beautiful picture um, of, of, of of the family of God. You know, in a world where so many families are just broken and coming apart, in the family of God, we can be family to one another. In the family of God, you can find mothers and fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers and and sons and daughters and uh, granddaughters and grandsons and brothers and sisters, right? That's, that's, we we find a family in in God's family, no matter what our, our biological family is like, in the family of God, we, we can find all of these relationships. I think we sung it earlier in one of those, those songs. Who makes the orphan a son or daughter, right? Um, yeah, you know, my, my dad, he had such a, he was part of this church for many years, had such a, he, he, he was a big guy with a big heart. 
And I can remember growing up when new people would come to our church, I can remember my dad welcoming those people and he would take them, take them by the hand, look them in the eye, and he had lots of homespun expressions like this. Many of you who knew him know, know this, but he would look them in the eye and he would say, we'll treat you like kin. <laughs> treat you like kin. And you know what? That's because they were kin. That's because they are kin. You're in Christ. We're, we're, we're closer than what biological blood could, could, could ever make us. You know, the world says that, that blood is thicker than water. But in the family of God, we are united, not united by both blood and water. We are united by the blood of Christ. And we are united as a family of baptized believers whose sins have been plunged in the, in the sea of God's forgiveness, and now we are one in him. Now, verse 13 is not only a, a, a beautiful, but it's, an, it's intriguing. We see the, the beauty here in that he says that Rufus's mother has been like a mother to me as well. And that was another thing about this church. It was multi-generational. Older people, younger people, but it's intriguing because of the mention of Rufus. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Now, obviously this letter is written to the church at Rome. Well, there's another book in the New Testament that was written to Rome, and it was the Gospel of Mark. So in the Gospel of Mark, when Mark describes what it was like as Jesus was on the Via Dolorosa, on the way to the cross. Mark describes in chapter 15 and verse 21 what happened there. He says, and they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. Now remember, this is written to the church at Rome. Mark is. So, it's understandable that Mark would mention the name of the man who carried the cross of Jesus, but why does he go out of his way to mention the names of his sons? Unless he knows that those sons are known to the people who were going to read the Gospel of Mark in Rome. One of those people that he mentions is Rufus, and now... In Romans 16, 13, Paul is writing to the church at Rome and he mentions Rufus. So Rufus, in all likelihood, is the son of the man who carried the cross of Jesus, Simon of Cyrene, who was African in origin, by the way. So what are some takeaways? Like when you put all this together, Put, what are some takeaways that we can, can see from the picture of this church? First of all, diversity. Diversity. This church was made, it was men and women. It was married people. It was single people. It was rich people. It was poor people. It was black people. It was white people. It was Jewish people. It was Gentiles, Persians, slave and free, old and young Oh, this is a beautiful picture of Galatians 3.28 where Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, 
There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Diversity. Second, Romans is written to ordinary believers. Romans is written to ordinary believers. Now, now what, what do we take away from that? What does it say that a document this deep and this theologically rich is just written to ordinary believers? It means that ordinary believers can understand the deep things of God if they're taught it. That's one thing. It also means that ordinary believers can make an extraordinary impact in advancing the church of God. Here's another kind of takeaway that we can get from this. The church is built up by unsung heroes. The church is built up by unsung heroes. All, all these people that Paul's writing to, you know, they're, they're not pastors. They're just like, they're, they're normal people. They're out there working and just everyday jobs and doing what they do, but they're making this incredible impact for Christ. They're going out there in the world every day as agents of God and making this incredible impact. You know, these are just kind of like normal, humble servants who don't care about making a name for themselves. They care about making a name for Jesus and making him famous in Rome and around the world. How Christian friendship is emphasized. Second, second we see in this chapter, how Christian friendship is established. How Christian friendship is established. How is it established? You can sum it up in one word, gospel. Gospel. <laughs> what binds this incredibly diverse group of people together is their relationship with Christ. We see this over and over and over throughout chapter 16. He says in verse two, welcome her in the Lord. Verse three, my, he refers to my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Verse five, he refers to the first convert to Christ. Verse seven, he says they were in Christ before me. Verse eight, my beloved in the Lord. Verse nine, our fellow worker in Christ. Verse 10, approved in Christ. Verse 12, who has worked hard, <laughs> worked hard in the Lord. Verse 13, chosen in the Lord. <clears throat> what bound these people together? It was their relationship with Jesus, right? It's the gospel. Now, what other group of people was like that in Rome? And what other group of people in the city of Rome was this diverse uh, in their religious background, in their ethnicity, in their ages, in their socioeconomic background? What other group in the city of Rome was this diverse and yet had been brought together and loved one another as a family and would literally lay down their lives for one another? I want to tell you, there was no other group in Rome like that. <laughs> there was no other group in Rome like that. And so, what a witness to the people of Rome because they saw this incredibly diverse people, group of people uh, that were just brought together, not because they all looked alike or because they were all the same age or because they all like did the same thing. They were brought together just because of the gospel. 
It's just because of Jesus. You know, a few, a few years ago, kind of the, all, the, all the rage, a lot of the so-called experts in, in the church growth movement were saying, hey, listen, if you, if you want to grow the church or plant a church, it's got to be, everybody's got to be the same. You know, they all got to kind of be the you know, same age or the same ethnicity or all that. That's just kind of, that's just kind of the, the way things are done. What do you think Paul would say about that? <laughs> what do you think Jesus would say about that? <laughs> What do you think the people of Rome would say about that? Or the people in our culture today would say about it? If they see that, what do they say? They say, you guys are just together because, you know, you're all, you're all alike. And so you just want to be together with people that are just like you. That's not a great witness. No, a powerful witness is when we are bound together <laughs> by the gospel. It's then that people start to stand up and take notice. Because they say, whoa. What is this? This is powerful. That's what the early church was, was like. How was Christian friendship established? Gospel. Gospel. Third, how Christian friendship is experienced. How Christian friendship is experienced. <clears throat> Again, one word, love. Love. Let's look at five practical expressions of love that we see in this church. First of all, honoring one another. Honoring one another. We saw in chapter 12 and verse 10 that Paul said to the church, outdo one another in showing honor. What's Paul doing in this chapter? Paul is pointing away from himself to others, right? Honoring Others, honor one another above yourselves. Outdo one another in showing honor. Second, showing hospitality. Showing hospitality. Romans 12, 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. We see that throughout this chapter. All the way from at the beginning when he tells them to welcome Phoebe. Phoebe was certainly gonna need a place to, to, to stay. And so he, he was saying, you know, we need somebody to open up your home to, 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 to Phoebe, which is very frequent as missionaries traveled in the days of the early church. Um, but also, this church was house churches. And so you had, you know, people that were meeting in the house of Priscilla and Aquila and other houses throughout the city of Rome. So you had people opening up their homes to one another. Hospitality is not entertaining. Hospitality is, is doing ministry and opening up your home as a place of ministry not the only way hospitality is done, but opening up your home is, is one way uh, that it's done, and it's all about ministry, showing hospitality. Third, showing affection and warmth. Paul had told, had told them in Romans 12:10, love one another with brotherly affection. And when you read chapter 16, doesn't that shine through? These people love one another. They, they're, they're, the affection and the warmth that you see uh, in this church, he tells them in verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. So holy kiss, probably not appropriate in our culture, but the point is not that it'd be a holy kiss. The point is that, it, that affection, right? Warmth, in whatever way is culturally appropriate depending on the country. You know, it could mean for us a warm handshake or it could mean a bro hug or a side hug or it just could be a you know, warm smile. It certainly means that, at the very least, right? So listen, we deal with enough coldness 
out there in the world, amen? <laughs> when we get to church, <laughs> we, ought, we, ought to be a, we ought to be an affectionate, warm family to one another. Ministering together, ministering together. Um, Paul had told them in Romans 12, 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. The church is not a social club. And the church is, is not just a place where we come together to study the Bible. That's part of what we do. But the church is a body of believers that is also out there ministering together. And we go out there, we're in the world every day, wherever the, the God has placed us, okay, hopefully doing ministry in that context. All right, this is a great, great opportunity to do ministry together as well. I, just, I, I encourage, you know, Sunday school classes, ministry teams, you know, um, you study, especially you know, classes or Bible studies, you know, so we study the Bible weekly, right? We do that. Listen, what if, what if, we, what if we, like, not only studied the Bible weekly, but, but tried to hang out together monthly or something like that? Yeah, so we're, so we're building friendships outside the walls of the church. And what if we tried to serve together quarterly, so like there's a whole list of things that we can give you as a Sunday school teacher, as a class, local things where, where, where your group can, can, can do ministry projects together. And what that does is you're not only blessing other people, but you're building those relationships with your brothers and sisters as well. So there's all kinds of things that can be done locally, right? And you may say, hey, let's take an international trip together. Some of the people from our class, let's do it, let's do it together as a group. All kinds of ways to minister together. Uh, fifth, staying focused on the gospel together. Verse 17, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. So listen, Paul is well aware Right, and any church that is preaching the gospel and seeking to advance the gospel is going to be under satanic attack. Attack from without in the form of persecution, but also, he says, to guard against uh, division from the inside. And especially, this talks about things that are contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. He says, stay focused on the gospel. Don't get diverted Right, stay focused on the, keep the main thing the main thing. Don't get pulled away and diverted by some side street or, you know, uh, private agenda or whatever. Stay focused on the gospel. Staying focused on the gospel together. And then in verse 20, he talks about our hope in the gospel. He says in verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Don't you love that? Mm. You know what? Paul here is probably hearkening back to the book of Genesis and, and really the first mention, the first promise of the gospel that we see, which is in Genesis 3.15. I'll read it for you. This is God speaking to the serpent. And God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So what is God saying to Satan here? This, this takes place right after the fall, right after Adam and Eve's sin. 
And so God is saying to the enemy, he says, you have done your worst. (laughs) You've done your worst to the first man, to the first Adam. But I wanna promise you, there's another man that's coming. (laughs) The God man is coming. And you're gonna do your worst to him as well. And you are going to bruise him. And Jesus is bruised for us on the cross. But God promises the enemy, he says, but in the process of bruising his heel, he's gonna crush your head. Jesus has already triumphed over the enemy through the cross and through the resurrection. And one day, Satan and evil is going to be completely annihilated at the return of Christ. Our future is with Jesus. Glorified bodies and a new heaven and earth, it is not in doubt. That is our forever future. And so that hope should energize us and animate us to to take to live boldly for the gospel in the present and to do all that we can to advance the gospel and build up the church in the present. We're hoping together in the gospel. And then appropriately, he ends with this incredible benediction. <laughs> this incredible, I mean, Paul, like he, he's reached the end of the letter and he's like, he's like just ex- practically exploding in praise to God. Verses 25 through uh, 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this amazing letter. We thank you for being able to walk through it uh, this year as a church family. And we pray that you would use it to bring fruit uh, in our lives, Lord, and uh, for the rest of our days. And so, um, Lord, bless, bless what you've given us um, in this letter. Um, form us more and more as a gospel-centered people. Form us more and more as a family that is on mission for you to make disciples who make disciples in our community and around the world. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. 
In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.